I keep trying to pick the lint out of my hair, but they're just gray hairs. I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, February 5th, 2023, and this is episode 204 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is I finished Beastly Kingdom. I actually managed to make a TikTok about this yesterday. Um, But yeah, as we speak, well, as this goes out, the book should be going out very shortly to my beta readers, who I'm very excited about and very grateful for. And um, I booked the copy editor. I can set a release date now, which I actually did. I moved the pre-order date back. It had been set at March 31st, which at the time was the furthest in the future I could set it on Amazon. So on Amazon, you get a year. So I think March 31st last year, I was like, yeah, this book could be out by then. It'll probably be out earlier. But maybe it'll be out later. And so now the day that I I pushed it, the latest I could push it was April 28th, which is Friday. It is during a polycon. But once I was realizing I was finishing this, I was like, I can get this book out for a polycon. I think I can, depending on shipping times, uh, I can get the print book out and have some copies at a polycon. But at the very least, I will be able to release ebook um, on Friday, April 28th. So that is the new date I updated the other retailers that have pre-orders um, currently. So if you would like to pre-order the book, I, should, I need to update the um, the description. Anyway, more things to go on my to-do list. But yes, I finished Beastly Kingdom. I'm currently doing the read-through, the final read-through before I send it to beta readers. And I'm actually having the computer read it to me because you hear, you know, so much more than your, your eyes skip over things. Um, typos, missed words, homonyms, things like that. But a lot of things you catch with a read through. And I, I very rarely have the time or take the time to have the computer read it to me, even though I know it's a it's a really good step. So I'm doing that. Yesterday, I spent hours sitting listening to this computer voice, read it through and making little changes and corrections, catching things. And so, yeah, the other big news is that I feel really good about this book. As I was writing the end, I was like, I'm really feeling thrilled by this. I, even as I had to go through and make a couple little changes before I started my, my final read through, I really like the end of this book. Um, and I really think it's, it came together well, considering it, it was kind of kind of difficult. It wasn't one of the easier ones. Although what, what book was easy? I don't know. Have I ever said a book was actually easy in my life? Some books, the first draft comes easy and the rest of it is trouble. This book, I started rewriting it in um, October, I was going through the calendar and looking at how long it took me to write this one, because I'm planning the third in the trilogy and figuring out when I'm going to write that, when is it going to come out. I don't think there's going to be a pre-order for it. Ideally, I would have, hey, book two comes out and you can pre-order book three. But since that burned me so much this time, I'm going to just give myself more grace and be like, it it might. There is a possibility. There is a world in which book three Brutal Fortress comes out in 2023. That world exists. <laughs> is it realistic? Is it, it really depends on the other book I have to write this year, which is um, has not been announced yet. But if you've been a longtime listener, it's my 1830s book, which I sold to a new publisher, and that's due October 1st. So it really depends on how that goes and lots of other things. So no promises. But yes, I feel really good about Beastly Kingdom. 
Also, Friday, the cover design appointment for book three came, which I think I talked about last time. So I had to do a cover brief, which meant I had to come up with like a bare bones outline of book three. But since I was finishing and the end of book two, which is a big wide open door slash cliffhanger for book three, it gave me lots of ideas. So I put something together that I was like, huh, I guess this is what's going to happen. You know, I hadn't I, I keep in my mind the thing that I want for the next book in a series. And I might, I had like a couple of sentences written out. But I really hold myself back from putting anything on paper or even typing any words on the computer, just because it makes it more real. If they're just ideas in my mind, then they're not real. And so this process of coming up with some idea to give to the cover designer and actually talking it through um, on my morning writing session, just really briefly, talking it through with someone else who doesn't know the story as well, but she knows what I've been telling, you know, the group as we check in, you know, our morning writing sessions, we do 30 minutes of writing, we check in to see where we are. And sometimes we help each other with problems that we're having in those breaks. And so from that information, and from what I told her, she gave me a really great idea for just kind of the energy and the vibe of the the cover for book three. I haven't done the cover reveal for book two, but that is coming. I just need to get a little bit I need to get a little bit ahead of my to-do list before I can plan a cover reveal. And I probably will just do it on my social media. I don't know if I'm going to do like a, anything with other, you know, bloggers, uh, bookstagrammers, book talkers. That might just be too much drama or too much, just another thing to do that I have to manage that I don't have the brain space to manage. But cover reveal coming. And the covers are very similar. It's like, this, the cover of Savage City is my main character, you know, in this environment. That's the way the rest of them are, too. It's just, you know, what is she wearing? What does she look like? What kind of expression do I want on her face? And my cover designer is really good at finding the model and giving them that expression. Of course, models will po- probably be limited because, as I said last week, the cover model of book three looks exactly like the cover model of book one. So that's one decision. Uh, that we I don't have to make, but it depends on the stock media that is available in terms of what are the expressions that are possible for her to have. I feel like I've seen that model before, although he changed so much about her. So anyway, I'm super excited. I have so much energy about this. I I do as I'm reading through it. I'm really enjoying this book, and I hope that everyone else will too. I, I think I did a good job, and I wasn't I wasn't sure there were a lot of points during this where I was like, uh. uh, uh. But at the end, I got through it and going back, going back through it, I do like it a lot. So yeah, that is my big win. Um, moving right along, moving right into the rest of my writing update, which is that I have the outline for the Black Towns book, which I have to roll right into writing. And I got some more ideas for it. I'm at the point where I have something solid and I don't know whether these new ideas that I'm having or something that I should be incorporating, or I should be like, ooh, is that just new shiny? It's not taking me in wildly different directions, but it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there was a scene in a juke joint? You know, and the Blacktown's book is the 1930s, Southern Blacktown. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have a juke joint in there. Let me go watch Color Purple again. <laughs> uh, just like, it would be fun. It would be cool. Can I set things, something there? Will it help with the theme or the character development to see my characters in that environment? And I don't know where that idea came from. It came from some external source. Uh, so yeah, I'm kind of just evaluating what is, what needs to be here, what is going to elevate, you know, or just 
make more of the idea, be more fun to read. The cool factor comes into play too. And what is just a distraction? And some of that will just be figured out once I'm actually writing. I really need to focus more on voice and tone and how does the character sound? That's going to come through the writing too, but usually it helps when I can hear it. Like when I'm really pushed into, oh, this is how she sounds. And I don't feel like I'm quite there yet. I want to talk a little bit more about the process to outlining in a second. But just to recap, other writing, publishing, business-related updates. Um, moving forward with the world-building course, I did change the platform again. I'm not ready to talk about that at the moment, but I've changed it now four times. And this is going back to a previous one that I moved away from that I decided I can accept after all because the platform I started building on, I don't want to get into it. It's, it's like a touchy subject for me. <laughs> Maybe I'll talk about it a little later. But I, I'm at the final platform. I don't have time or energy to change it again. And we're just gonna we're gonna go with it. We're on Thinkific, which is you know like a Teachable or a Podia. The ones that I had been evaluating went back to it, paid money for it. This is it. Come hell or high water, I'm just putting that out there. I'm just not changing again. Also. In really interesting um, news, interesting to me, I saw a comment on social media where a reader said that she had actually discovered the poet Langston Hughes by reading my book, The Monsters We Defy. Langston Hughes is a character in that book. And this is, you know, judging by her profile, kind of a youngish white woman, I think maybe European based on her spelling of things. And she also said in a comment that, you know, she hadn't ever learned of any non-white poets in school. And the idea that someone who appears to be an adult human <laughs> on this earth had literally never heard of Langston Hughes until they read my book. I was just flabbergasted. And I shouldn't be. Like, I take it for granted that I grew up with Black history, that you know, my brother is named after Paul Lawrence Dunbar. His name is Paul Lawrence James. And we grew up with our parents reading Paul Lawrence Dunbar and Langston Hughes. For my eighth birthday, I got a copy of Ego Tripping by Nikki Giovanni as a birthday present. Like, there's so much that I think my family brought to it. Because I can't say whether I learned about these people in school. I don't think that I did in any real way. I didn't have, I had very, very few black teachers. I went to all white schools or majority white schools. Like, my high school was 10% black. Although, you know, I was part of the first African-American history class in school. I was one of the students there. And we did some work to try to make that that class happen. Um, so, yeah, it shouldn't be a huge surprise that white parents aren't out there teaching their kids, you know, about Langston Hughes. I mean, I'm sure some are, but especially 20 years ago or, you know, if you're an adult now when you were a kid. But it was just sad to me. And it is Black History Month, and I don't pay a huge amount of attention to Black History Month. Like, I'm glad it's here, but personally, I don't spend a lot of energy on it. But reading that comment made me think that I need to stop. And I'm going to do some posts. I haven't been on social media recently, but now that I finished this book, not like it's opened up a whole lot of extra time in my life, but I'm going to make some time because there's a lot of Black history in the novel. And February 9th, a few days from now as I'm recording this, is the six-month anniversary of the book coming out, if I've counted properly. <laughs> came out August 9th. So I wanted to do like um, a spoiler chat, which I haven't organized yet. So 
if I get myself together on uh, Thursday, February 9th, there will be some sort of me live streaming spoiler chat about the monsters we defy. So if you are listening in real time and are interested in that, check my social media for, I might be announced it like a day or two before. <laughs> Once again, I feel very overwhelmed and it's tax season and I have to put the taxes together and I hate that and it's drawing so much energy from me. But I will make time to do some posts about some of the historical figures that are in Monsters and to hopefully do this February 9th. Now that I'm saying it out loud, and promising you guys <laughs> do this spoiler chat. I just feel like it's an opportunity that I shouldn't take for granted that people know about these characters and these figures, these real life people, and that they know anything about Black history. And that's what the month is for. I mean, Carter G. Woodson is a character in the book, and he created Negro History Week, which became Black History Month. And that is a small mention that Negro History Week is coming because the book is 1925. That started 1926, just a few months after. So I put it in the book, just like anything I could, I put in the book. So yes, I'm going to do that. And, and there's a lot of Black people that don't know about Black history either, you know. I was talking to my husband, who was like, yeah, he knows a lot of Black people who had no idea who Sojourner Truth was, and um, just all these other people. And his parents were, even more than mine, teaching him Black history. Like, he was a little militant child <laughs> in elementary school. But he grew up in all Black schools, and so it was a slightly different situation. Um, but yeah, I I was both saddened and sort of honored that, you know, this reader found out about some Black black historical figures from my book, from a fiction book. That's one of the reasons why, I mean, not that I could have thought of that, that, that happening, but it was important to me to bring in like these people, some real life people, and try to bring them to life in the novel to the best of my ability. People may take some issue with my portrayal of Langston Hughes, but I stand by it. I read his autobiography and that's the vibe I got from him. I still love Langston Hughes, um, but I feel like Maybe he wasn't the most reliable person given his job history before he became famous. <laughs> okay, I did want to talk briefly about how I got to the outline for the Black Towns book, which I'm about to start actually writing words in the page, which I'm a little bit terrified to do. Um, so I started with the themes. Going a couple of weeks back, I was I had this mind map of the themes that I talked about. And from that... I went through and I started making note cards. I used the program Whimsical to make virtual note cards just so I could toss out ideas and reorganize them and reorder them. And once I had tossed everything out, I reordered them to try to be in approximate order. At first, I was I was trying to put them into the Save the Cat structure because I do have a Whimsical template that I created for Save the Cat. And I will link to that in the show notes as well. It's on my website too. But that became too stressful. It was too much. And I felt like this is not a save the cat book. Every every book isn't for every structure. So I, I went way looser and just said, okay, three acts, beginning, middle, end, put the put these note cards, these ideas for scenes and for events that have to happen in the order. And trying to figure out what am I keeping from my first draft and all the new stuff that I have to add because the slightly new direction that I'm going in. And so I did that. I laid that all out in whimsical. I had my three acts. I refined that kind of over and over again. And then once I had that, I decided I needed an outline. I needed to start putting this together in story form, just so I could move through it chronologically in my head. So I did a bullet point outline, and then I started refining that. Once that was done, I went through it again, looking at the arcs of each character 
uh, looking at the, the doors that I've opened. Did I manage to close them? Did I close them in the right orders? In terms of if you open up like a subplot and it has to come to a conclusion by the end of the book, but you should be closing the doors in reverse order that you opened them. So it's sort of um, like brackets, you know, concentric. Is that the way? It doesn't sound right. <laughs> but nested, that's right, nested brackets so that you don't open one subplot and then close it in the middle of the book and then open another one and then close it at the end. For the book to feel right to the reader, I think as much as possible, we close the doors in the you know reverse order that we opened them. So I checked for that, uh, character motivations, and yeah, I just kind of went through several times making sure all of that was tight. That's like the proofing or like the QA process, the quality assurance of the outline. And I printed it out at one point, gave it another day or two just away from it and came back with fresher eyes and refined it again. And so the last stage I was left with was I felt good about it. There were a couple character actions that I needed to have happen for the story to progress, but I wasn't sure that they were properly motivated. And I don't want it to be like, well, I need this to happen. So I'm going to wedge this character into this really ridiculous action that they wouldn't normally do. So I have to either change it, which I don't want to do because it has to happen for the story to happen unless I changed the story again wildly, which I don't have time to do. Or I have to give them a better motivation, something that's more grounded, either forcing them via the antagonist to do something that they might not normally do, or just make it really clear beforehand that you know, they're going to do this stupid thing, but they have a really good reason. And it's because of their flaw or their wound or whatever is going on inside of them that makes them act irrationally as human beings do. And that was something that I brought to my mastermind group yesterday. And we kind of talked through a couple of those instances and I felt a lot better about them. I also made a brainstorm list of 10, 10 different reasons why this character would do this crazy, stupid thing so that I could figure out something. And brainstorming like that helps, even if you're tossing out the most ridiculous ideas. You know, you don't want to always go with the first idea. I, I find that my first drafts, the problems that happen in them are often because they're the first idea. And that could be one of the downsides of fast drafting. You know, um, for all of its benefits to me, it does have cons. And Sometimes I go in a direction because it's the first thing that came to mind and I'm writing this scene as fast as I can. So I'm going with my first inclinations and you have to balance um, like going with your gut, like what was your first thing that you wanted to do and digging deeper to find the more interesting, more motivated thing, which is not the first thing. So there's that tension there as well. But at the end of the day, I ended up with um, a good outline that I feel solid about. It's still in bullet point form. I have not done the step of writing it all out, writing it all out in paragraphs, and I'm on the fence about whether to do that or not. I don't know if that's procrastinating or if that is something that would be important. Like because this is a second draft, do I need it written out? I ended up needing it for Beastly Kingdom and it helped a lot, so maybe I should just do that. I guess I'm afraid it's just going to take time away from writing the book and since I I do have some resistance because I don't think I've found the voice just yet, sometimes this idea is I'm doing this extra thing because I don't want to start writing. But having just come off a book where that extra step was super helpful, and it will never hurt. Like I don't think, aside from the time, the process won't hurt. It could only help me. So maybe I just bite the bullet and try to do that in a day. 
which means taking it from a six-page outline to something like a 15 to 20-page paragraph outline. I guess I should do that. I've talked myself into it. Damn it. <laughs> but yeah, that was my outline process, and I'm ready to go. I'm 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 not really ready to go, but I, I need to go, so I'm as ready as I'm going to get. There are some events coming up. Uh, February 8th is Feyroba, part of Fantasy Romance February, and there's a bunch of free books. My book, Angelborn, is free. I said it free. It's free now. I did it early to make sure it worked. And so, yes, they will be. I, I will be emailing my newsletter. If you're not on my newsletter, elpenelope.com slash newsletter, the author newsletter. Um, lots of free books, fantasy romance, paranormal romance of all stripes. So check that out on February 8th. If you are in Maryland, I will be at the Bowie Library on February 21st for an event called Pathway to Becoming a Published Author. And I'll be a part of a panel. Um, that should be pretty exciting. Check my events page. My events page is full. I'm doing a bunch of stuff. So <laughs> check it out. lpenelope.com slash calendar. Also, VirtuousCon is coming. This is put on by a very dear friend of mine. It is a fabulous online two-day virtual conf- uh, conference at Comic-Con type event for independent creators. And I'll be on a panel about magic in the everyday, I believe, on February 26th. But definitely check out VirtuousCon. Also, Pro Writing Aid is having their fantasy week at the end of this month, February 27th through March 7th. I'm not talking at that. I'm not appearing, but there's lots of good people who are. And I actually think if I have time, I will check out some of their panels. I am also an affiliate for Pro Writing Aid because I use it. I actually started putting Beastly Kingdom through Pro Writing Aid. I did the first like 10 chapters and then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to have enough time to do this and listen to it before my beta readers. So I'll just have to finish after I send it to the beta readers. They're not going to get the perfectly, quote unquote, perfectly, like pro writing aid corrected version, but I apologize. And if you don't know, pro writing aid is a software. It's like Grammarly. It is sort of an AI grammar checker, first pass of an editor before you can give it to a human editor. You can clean up a lot of stuff like comma splices, which I am horrendous with. So pro writing aids fantasy week. I'm excited. Check it out. There's a link in the show notes to all of these things, as as usual. And then finally, um, in TV and also podcasts. So first, TV. My brother texted me about this show on Netflix called Lockwood & Co. And he was like, you'd really like this. He'd watched the first episode. I checked it out. He was right. I really liked it. It takes place in an alternate version of our world. The world building is really good. Even just check out the first episode. It's a world where in the late 60s, they discovered that ghosts were real and their touch could kill. And that only like young people, I guess under 20s, like teenagers basically, can sense ghosts. So fast forward, you know, 50 years on with this, this new discovery that they call the problem. We have teenage ghost hunters. And the show is about this, this company, Lockwood & Co., of these three teenage ghost hunters. And it really was delightful. I enjoyed it so much. I binged all eight episodes. Highly recommend it if you're looking for something good to watch. Also, I've talked about The Last of Us before, but last week was episode three, which was a tearjerker, but amazing. Start watching the show if you are not. It's really good. On on the podcasting side, I've been listening to this short eight-episode podcast called The New Gurus. It's from the BBC. It's by this British journalist, and it's all about these new online gurus in different spheres. You know, they have... um, a wellness guru. They talk about the manosphere. They talk about Bitcoin. They talk about um, just different types of online cults of personality that have arisen. And 
theorizing as to why. And it's just, it's really good. There's eight short episodes, like about a half an hour each. Very bingeable. Highly recommended. I've been hearing about it on some other podcasts and finally decided to check it out. And it made me think about sort of the gurus that pop up in the writing space. There are a lot of writing teachers and and I guess you could call them gurus. I don't know that they would call themselves and I don't want to, I don't want it to feel like a pejorative because some of these people are people that I, I like and respect very much. I'm thinking of Sean Coyne, Becca Syme, people who have groups around them because of what they do, because they do provide really good information and I've benefited from their information, but also Sometimes when you're in those groups, it can feel like a little bit of a cult. And I, I, my personality is not one that is susceptible to cults, I don't think. <laughs> Maybe that's a humble brag, but I'm just very suspicious of everything and everyone at all times. I feel fortunate that, you know, I did grow up in a religion where there were no preachers, there was no clergy. Um, and so I never kind of grew up with an idea that there's somebody up there, aside from believing in God, uh, that you know, there's some person, some human that you need to listen to and follow everything. You know, we were always kind of taught to be wary of that. And which made it a little difficult because my grandfather is a Baptist preacher, but that aside. So kind of seeing that, okay, this person has really great information, but also some of the people around them are a little bit too excited about them and a little bit too fervent in their following. And that makes me uncomfortable. So yeah, great podcast. I think that it's right. It's very on point to say that in this age of YouTube and podcasts and you know social media, where you can create a following and you kind of have to in order to make your money that way, to make a living that way, if you're trying to do that. But even just to get your message out, whatever you're trying to say, you need an audience in order to say it. We all, you know, authors want to be read. We want our message out there, our words, our creations. If it's a nonfiction thing where you're actually providing assistance. You want to help as many people as you can. But there is that point at which a person can become a celebrity, even a tiny micro celebrity, you know, in their own little genre or niche. And it can become weird. And then I think the podcast goes into when it backfires or kind of makes people go crazy, you know. Um, So here is hoping that the people who share information with us are able to manage it and um, not fall victim to some of the the downsides of even micro online celebrity because it happens a lot. Anyway, that is it for me for this week. My goals for the coming week, get the words down, try to try to chisel away at this to-do list, hopefully get my tax stuff together and fill out the questionnaire for my accountant. Why? Why can't they just bill us? I mean, you know, I need to vote for someone next time who's going to be like, we're overhauling the IRS and they're just going to send you a bill and then you just write a check. And that's all I want to do. Because they know, you know, they know. There's this whole meme I saw about that. But I mean, we all know how this works. I just, I hate tax time. So yes, get the words down. Um, I'm a little frazzled, so I'm sure there's many, many more things I have to do this week that I will hopefully get to. And I will talk to you next week. I hope that you have a wonderful week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriends.net. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And you can email me at podcast.openelfie.com. 
My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.